blah, blah, blah. Here is a kind of story that we Unitarian Universalists often tell at Easter time. There was a tree that was thriving and growing. Blossoms and tiny, damp leaflets popped out over all its branches. New, new twigs grew. The leaflets got bigger and darker and spread into a great green tent over everything. And many creatures lived in the shelter of the thriving, healthy tree. A woodpecker found good things to eat in its bark. A colony of wasps built a beautiful nest of paper high up in its branches. And so did birds. And a squirrel family curled up in a hollow of its trunk. Then the weather changed, the days shortened, and something dramatic happened to the tree. You all know what it was. Its leaves went from green to yellow. They stopped making food for the tree to live on, and then they fell right off their twigs. They rotted on the ground, and the branches of the tree were left gray and brown and bare. The protective tent was gone. It looked as if the tree was surely dying. For many months, there were only these bare branches the bird's nest had little shelter. The birds went far away to where trees were still lush and green. Everything around the tree got very quiet. There was little life there to see. And then one day, the spring winds began to blow, and the air around the tree grew warm, and the so soil that had frozen began to thaw, and the tree that had appeared lifeless put forth tiny little light green buds almost too small to see. Life was moving in the tree and around the tree and all the creatures came back to the tree and it was once again a center of new life. We all know this story. Why do we tell it at Easter? Is the death and resurrection of Jesus like the death and resurrection of the tree and all the creatures it shelters? What about our own death and whatever we hope might happen afterwards? Well, in some ways, the human story is like the tree, and in some ways, it's not. Some say the tree story is really different because the tree wasn't really dead. Whereas when Jesus was crucified, as you said, a terrible way to die, he really died. So is it really possible for someone to return to life after that? And more to the point, can we, people whose lives have a limit, really take hope from these stories of annual cycles? I think people told the story of Jesus' resurrection, and I think it has stuck for so many centuries because death makes us so sad, and we wish so desperately for it not to be permanent. We would like to believe that when people die, it's not forever, that we only have to say goodbye to them for a while, as if those we love are just going on a long voyage when they die. And we will be reunited with them eventually, right? It will take years, maybe, but it won't be forever. And that would make all that loss so much easier to bear. It would be very comforting to believe that death was just a temporary separation. 
Now, we Unitarian Universalists can believe lots of different things and still all belong here. So maybe you do believe that death is just a temporary separation. Some among us do. And, and that's interesting, and I would love to hear more about how this belief affects your life. The tree story must make a lot of sense to you. If you don't believe that, if you're pretty sure that when someone dies, it isn't like going quiet for the winter, it's permanent, then let's think a little bit more about what that resurrection might mean. What kind of resurrection, what kind of return to life can you count on? Here's something I find helpful. To hold the people we have loved in our hearts and try to live in such a way that the best things about them are reborn again and again in us. Bear Capron, a member of UUCPA to whom Karen dedicated the prelude today, showed many of us a good way to live, full of love and gentleness, courage and playfulness. He died of cancer, and I remember one time a year or two ago before that, a year or two before um, his death, when he said that the image of a battle didn't work for him as when people say someone is fighting cancer, he, that, didn't, that word just didn't really help him. He was a peaceful person. And he said he didn't want to envision himself being at war, even with cancer. Instead, he tried to call on the power of love and the things that made him want to live, to give him strength, when he was so sick. Now Bear is no longer alive, and that is just sad and hard, no matter what. But there's also this. When we are offered the chance to think of ourselves as people who are fighting, for example, fighting injustice, maybe the memory of Bear will rekindle a different intention in us. The desire to move toward, to embrace something we love, such as a better, kinder world. That would make him live again in an important way. I've used Bear as an example because we just held his memorial service and he's very much um, in my mind. But this same thing goes for anybody in this community we have lost. We can do this with anyone we have loved and lost. So that is one kind of resurrection that we can count on. There's something about the people we have known that is like the tree in winter. It's not really dead and gone. It still lives in us. It still lives in the world. I think another reason the Easter story is meaningful is that we experience all kinds of deaths besides the death of the body. We have dreams that don't come true. We have hopes that aren't realized. And those each feel like a death. We have friendships and other relationships that come to an end. They die. And losses like having to move away from a school or a friend or a congregation, losing a job, losing a home. We can be deeply disappointed by people or by ourselves. And all of these are a kind of death. And it's good to mourn them as we mourn any loss. It's also good to think of these, the way we think of the cycles of nature. They might be only apparent deaths, only temporary deaths, like the gray and leafless tree. There might be something deep within these experiences 
that will emerge as life in another time. Maybe, for example, not getting accepted into the college that you want, which is something that needs to be grieved. It's a kind of death, it's a loss. But maybe it will lead your life onto another track that brings you great happiness and fulfillment, a track that you never would have taken if not for that disappointing event, that death of a dream. The sorrow is still real, and the death of that dream also might be the birth of a new one. Maybe the end of a relationship and all the regret and sorrow that it brings will cause you to learn something important about other people and yourself, and as a result, you'll be a wiser person, more ready to, for other new deep friendships. Our lives are sprinkled with deaths, and each one brings a possibility of rebirth. So I will close um, with thanks to Brian Weller, who always brings such wonderful poems to my attention, and with a part of a poem by Ada Limon. She says that more than the flowers on the trees, it's the greening that really gets to her. When all the shock of white and taffy, the world's baubles and trinkets, leave the pavement, the pavement strewn with the confetti of aftermath, the leaves come. Patient, plodding, a green skin growing over whatever winter did to us, a return to the strange idea of continuous living despite the mess of us, the hurt, the empty. Fine then, I'll take it, the tree seems to say, a new slick leaf unfurling like a fist to an open palm, I'll take it. I have to say, um, you're, this, the audience up in the front is very disappointed that Baby Yoda was not mentioned in the sermon. <laughs> oh, I just said it, so it has been mentioned now, even though it's not the sermon. Still counts. Yay, next year's sermon, I'll try to be Baby Yoda. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so... <laughs> So I have a question. Did anybody, uh, did anybody have a, a certain rabbit visit you last night? Did anybody have an Easter Bunny? Yeah, Sophia, Alex. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so this time of year, there's lots of candy, right? There's lots of candy, and there's lots of bunnies. I just have a question. Why, what is up with the bunnies? Why are we talking about a zombie guy's wake and we're talking about bunnies and chocolate? Why do bunnies eat food? Chickens. Oh, why? Why chickens? Why? Yes. Because bunnies are cute and chocolate is yummy. Bunnies are cute and chocolate is yummy. So say that. Write that down. That's important. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about why we talk about bunnies and peeps and all these strange things, Eloise, all these strange things. 
So why, what's up with this? Why do we have all these things amidst, all these bright colorful things amidst, you know, topics of death and dying and despair? So first of all, the death and the resurrection of Christ, what we just talked about, as was celebrated by the earliest Christians around the time of Passover, which happened this week as well. So the holy season, the season of Easter, it kind of fell in this area by chance on spring. And also it kind of makes sense because psychologically, going through winter is kind of hard sometimes. So spring has always been a really big deal, especially for fertility deities. Now fertility deities are making sure that there's many, 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 whether that be bunnies or humans or flowers that are blooming and procreating. So there's a meme that's going around that says Easter uh, comes from the Mesopotamian goddess Ishtar, which is kind of like I can see the kind of the weird spelling, but that's not actually true. Though Ishtar was connected to death and rebirth as well as love and fertility, which is a big Easter thing, there's no evidence that Ishtar and Easter are related. So if it doesn't come from Mesopotamia, <laughs> where does it come from? There's some people who claim that there was an Anglo-Saxon goddess um, named Ostero, who, but it's hard to find a lot of evidence for her. But there are evidence of localized fertility goddess in that region. And these goddesses were often represented by something that is very cute, something that is very funny, bunny. Yeah. <laughs> so they were represented by bunnies because bunnies multiply very, very well. So that's a good motif for spring. Now, so like with many of our holidays, the pagan mixed with the Christianity and the local traditions. And that percolated and made this magical melting pot of Easter that we know today. So the writer Annie Tarot uh, wrote the best description about the zillions of exuberant and enlightening ways that we humans express Easter. Here's the thing. Our Western Easter traditions incorporate a lot of elements from a bunch of different religious backgrounds. You can't just say that. Alex, can you sit up? You can't just really say that it's about resurrection or it's about spring or it's about fertility or love. You can't pick one out of the tapestry and say, hey, now this particular thing, this is what it's all about. It doesn't work that way, right? Few things do in life. Well, listen, yeah. So, well, listen. So we celebrate with bunnies and chocolate because history they have woven together in history. And so we continue to make new traditions together. Like Jesus and like springtime, like friends, we do things together because it's more fun and they give us hope and they offer us sustaining power to get through life and get through chocolate. Who doesn't like a little bit of chocolate when times are hard, right? I like, I like chocolate and tacos. Oh, chocolate and tacos. <laughs> <laughs> So now that the bingo is complete, I hope that um, all of you with children or young people would join me in the playground after the service for our Easter egg hunt. What the hell? <laughs> so with that, the bingo is complete, Hill. All right. <laughs> Thank you.